Understanding Our Democracy, one podcast at a time. This is the show about politics. Here's your host, Nate. Welcome back to the show about politics. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. We're stepping inside a time machine to learn about the Russian Revolution. Oh, one other thing. Don't forget to bring along your smartphone, because... What if Twitter existed 100 years ago? How would things play out? What would Twitter look like if all of the main characters in Russia's revolutionary stories had a Twitter profile and if they were tweeting to each other or tweeting to their followers about how they could try to mobilize political opinion and how to explain their story on a day-to-day basis? This is Ivor, one of the creators behind a very interesting historical project called 1917 Live. So uh, my name is Ivor Crotty. I'm a Deputy Director of uh, Innovation and Creativity at RT in Moscow. I'm Irish and I've been living in Russia for about 13 years. I got the chance to speak with Ivor and the 1917 Live team at this year's South by Southwest EDU conference. They were there to talk about how using social media to interact with the past is a fun and engaging way to learn about history. But it wasn't just present-day technology that inspired this project. So over the last several years or so, we were watching things change in Europe in about 2014, about five years ago. Um, I think it's fair to say that politically there was a change in the weather. There had been a great economic depression for about four or five years before that. And I think people were very unhappy with how they were being left behind economically. And unfortunately, there was a kind of a political change and a move to the right. We thought there was a great parallel between what was going on in 2014 in Europe and 1914 in Europe, which was at the start of World War One. So we decided that it would be really interesting to do some storytelling using the technology that we work with every day in the newsroom, but to tell historical stories. And maybe that would be a way to introduce these stories to young people who, I guess, you know, you know, you guys really like phones and you really like that technology and stuff. So we wanted to introduce a way of telling stories and bringing history together in a way that would inspire young people to learn from the past. But before we can really understand this project, we first need to look back at what was going on 100 years ago in Russia. And we'll begin with the Romanovs. The Romanovs were the imperial family of Russia. Um, Nicholas Romanov and his wife, Alexandra, and they had five children. They had four daughters first. They had Olga, Tatiana, Maria and Anastasia, or Anastasia, as we call her. And then finally a fifth child, a son, who was the heir to the throne, and his name was Alexei. This is Helen Rappaport, who was part of the 1917 Live team. I'm a writer and a historian, and I've always specialised in two particular periods of history. One is Russian history of the end of the imperial era up to the revolution. And the other period I'm very interested in is the reign of Queen Victoria, so from 1837 to 1901. And so... What exactly happened during the end of um, Nicholas II's reign? 
Well, that's a very big question because it was a very turbulent and dangerous time. And Nicholas, for many years, had been warned by advisers and ministers and foreign people that he should make compromises in the government and be less authoritarian, less dogmatic, and bring in reform, bring in proper constitutional government, which had been demanded for many decades by the Russian people. But because he refused to make compromises, there was a growing revolutionary movement. And in February 1917, it burst open. And within about a week of the revolution breaking, Nicholas was forced to give up the throne. And after that, he and his family were taken into captivity. On his way from the army headquarters, Russian Emperor Nicholas II is forced to stand down from the throne. He signs the abdication and hands it over to representatives of the Russian provisional government. Problems with the supply of flour provoke fears of hunger in Petrograd. This leads to massive strikes in February and March, with the people demanding bread. To prevent further demonstrations, the provisional government forms a civil police force, easily identified by their special white armbands. But that was just the start of many more changes to come. So, Lenin was the leader of the revolution and his party was called the Bolsheviks. What exactly did they do with Nicholas while he was in captivity? Well, the main thing to remember is that Lenin actually was living in exile when the revolution broke. He was um, actually in Switzerland and he had to get a train back into Russia. So the revolution initially happened without him and he didn't get back to Petrograd till April 1917. And so the Romanov family were held captive at their palace, the Alexander Palace outside St. Petersburg. And then in August, they were moved into Western Siberia to a city called Tobolsk. But then in October of 1917, Lenin's Bolsheviks seized power from the provisional government. There'd been a temporary government of various political factions who'd come together to try and bring order to the country. They'd failed. Lenin seized power in October 1917. And after that, the attitude towards the imperial family became very, very severe and they were moved to much more strict imprisonment in Ekaterinburg in the spring of 1918, where in July that year, the whole family, the mother, the father and the five children and their doctor and three servants were all horribly, brutally massacred. How do we know that all of them died in the massacre? Well, this has been a long ongoing controversy in that there are people out there who for many years and still even now are very extreme people who believe in some miraculous way one or all members of the family got away or were helped to go into exile somewhere in hiding. It isn't true. We found all the remains of the murdered Romanovs now. The remains have been subjected to extensive DNA testing, forensic examination, and it is now absolutely clear 
that the entire family died on that night in July 1918. And that includes Anastasia, despite the Disney film and the Broadway show, Anastasia didn't get away. And I personally think it's time that people buried these conspiracy theories and accepted that they all died then. And so how did the Bolsheviks take power? Well, they seized power um, in October, really more by default because the provisional government led by Alexander Kerensky was so weak and ineffectual. It wasn't a very violent takeover. In fact, the demonstrations in February 1917, when the first revolution broke, because there were two, one in February and one in October, was much more violent and a lot of people got killed because that was a really spontaneous popular revolt against the government. In October, things had become so bad, the government was having such a struggle to hold on to power that effectively the Bolsheviks had to do very little in order to seize power. They almost seized power by default and then began to impose a very draconian, very rigorous new socialist regime and very soon within months of the Bolsheviks taking over people began to realize that in fact the new order the new Soviet order of things was going to be much worse than being under the czars in many respects. Okay so like how did the Romanovs play a role in oh, wow. 1917 live, and yeah, how did it, that well, work out? They, uh, uh, they were real important, primarily because they were really quite extraordinary people uh, who experienced a very tragic and brutal end of their lives. At some stage, they were absolutely central. So in February, the February Revolution, when the Romanov legacy collapsed and they were replaced by a kind of interim government, so this was probably the kind of most traumatic moment for them uh, before their murder uh, uh, in July uh, the next year. So we looked very carefully at them uh, in 1917, but at some stage they were kind of overtaken by events. And so other actors, other historical actors like Trotsky and Lenin and others became central characters that we worked with through the October Revolution up to uh, the end of the year. And then we had an opportunity to return to the Romanov story to follow uh, the last 100 days of their life before their uh, tragic and brutal murder at the hands of the successful revolutionary Bolsheviks. Did you learn anything that was contemporary by mm -hmm. looking back at the past? That's a great question. My background is in sociology, Nate, and uh, I learned an awful lot about analysing modern society. When I was in university, I was very lucky to get the chance to do that. So I was prepared to uh, look for continuity in the kind of way political stories were evolving and the way these stories would be told. Um, Vladimir Lenin, the successful revolutionary, for example, had a great gift for mobilizing popular opinion in a way that garnered political support for him. And you know, I think there are loads of examples around the world right now of people who use technology, social media technology. Lenin used pamphlets and radio to, I guess, promote their own ideas and their own political agenda. So to be honest with you, I think there's a great continuity between uh, what was going on 100 years ago and, and right now. And I think that's why the project is so exciting and why we hope people like you will have an opportunity to learn from it. 
for this episode of the show about politics. A big thank you to Ivor, Helen, and the 1917 Live team. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, please leave a review and make sure to subscribe to the show about politics. And I'll be back soon with another episode. This episode was sponsored by Mel Science. Get two to three experiments delivered to your door every month. For a free VR headset and starter kit, use the link melscience.pxf.io slash Nate. Every order helps to support the show, so make sure to use the link in the description. The show about politics also has a hotline, and we want to hear what you think. Call us at 872-215-1966, and you might end up on a future episode of the show. And finally, music on this episode was written by Sounds Like an Earful. If you're a podcaster, make sure to check out their amazing and affordable music service at soundslikeanearful.com. Additional music on this episode comes from the Romanovs 100 Project and was composed by Peter Nalich. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe and please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, see you on the next episode of the show about politics. 